All right, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Acts, right there at chapter six and chapter seven. And while you're getting prepared, let me say, um, there is a move of God happening right now in our church. And yes, it happens um, in spirit, and it happens through the body, as Paul says, as a habitation uh, every single week when we come together and worship, there is a move happening in the lives of the people in this church. And that move is going to require us to move. How many of y'all believe that? Every move of God is to initiate a move in his people. And um, one of the things that I'm going to uh, I'm going to say at 11 o'clock today, and I'll go ahead and say it to you by faith, is um, we need to be prepared to literally move. At 11 a.m., there is uh, very limited space, and it's very hard to find a seat uh, when people come in during the worship because it appears that there is no seats. And there, there are some, they're just scattered. And so what I'm gonna tell everybody at 11, I'll go ahead and tell you too, for when it happens in our first service at nine, is I'm gonna be asking everybody to literally move inward, just wherever section you're at to move inward to make seating uh, easily accommodatable. And um, I want us to expect that. We should be asking for that. Because isn't it wonderful to not be a church centered on the spirit of entitlement like there's a sign seating here? Isn't that wonderful? Now, I know most of us sit in the same spot or vicinity, maybe the exact same chair every week, but I just want to remind you, your name's not on that chair. It's not, it's not yours. It's not yours. You don't own that row. Uh, there's never going to be a little placard on the end of it that says your name and your family, your grandmother's name, that she bought that row because she didn't buy that row. And so we're, we're going to always stay away from the entitlement mentality that, well, I've been here for you know, 25 years. Well, that's weird. It started six years ago, so I don't know how that happened. We're not going to do that because that's polluted, it's toxic, and it's dangerous, and that's an inward mentality, and God didn't call his church to have an inward mentality. You have to have an outward mentality. You have to be looking outwards toward the, towards the world and those that need Christ, and so I want us to always be of the expectation, I hope I have to move. In fact, I hope I have to stand. Like I, I, Let me tell you something. I come here every Sunday hoping that today's the day I have to stand, that I, I can't sit. There is no room for my seat. I hope that every week at 11, I'm gonna start having that same mentality about nine o'clock. Because I remember when nine o'clock was like this right here. You know, and we're like, hey, this is great, but it's awkward, nobody's here. And God's been filling it up, just like the 11 o'clock happened, it's filling it up, and um, the ropes will be coming down before it's over with. Mark my words, the early service at New Grace will be full capacity. It will happen, and we should expect it, we should ask for it, and we should make room for it. If I was God, if I was God, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't give us more until we maximize what we have. And I think when we move, it's making room for God to move. And so let's expect that. Let's be prepared for it. And if there comes a Sunday where I say, hey, let's slide in to the middle, then you just, just move on in. Don't look at me like this is my seat, because it ain't. It ain't. And if you do that, the floor is going to open up. You'll fall off into hell. It'll be a horrible thing. We don't want to do that. So I'm just kidding. I don't know. Maybe. It did happen in the Bible a couple of times. <clears throat> All right. Let's continue with our series. Uh, speaking of which, worth dying for. Is that seat worth dying for? No, that's not really the spin we're going to put on today. We've been in the last two weeks. And listen, this has been a very content-heavy Series And my, my preaching has been a little different, not much, but a little different as far as uh, the aim and the focus of what I've been saying every single week, uh, or the last two weeks rather, for our series Worth Dying For. And it's really just about commitment. In the first week, we talked about God's commitment to us and how he saw we were worth dying for. If you weren't here last Sunday, go listen, newgrace.cc, listen to it. It's worth another listen. Um, I've had a lot of folks say it was probably one of the most uh, pointed, powerful messages that they've heard about commitment, um, if not ever, and that was just the Spirit of God using us together in that moment. Uh, nothing about me or anyone else 
Uh, I had a little bit of help with it. I've been collaborating with some of our uh, creative personnel here on staff, and they've been helping me look at some different angles and perspectives, and so we're just building these sermons together. And um, go back and listen to it, because we talked about our commitment to Christ. Jesus said our commitment to him was going all in, and that, that commitment is validated. Commitment is authentic when your daily choices uphold the commitment you make. So today, uh, I want to look at being committed to a cause, a cause that you and I would say is worth dying for. So the loaded question for this morning, is there a cause that's worth dying for? Is there a cause worth dying for? So before we go any further, what, what is a cause? A cause is defined as a person or a thing that gives rise to action, phenomenon, or condition. Somebody said it like this, a cause is a principle, an aim, or a movement that because of deep commitment, one is prepared to defend or advocate. So let me ask you this, is there a cause in your life that you think is worth dying for? Is there a cause in your life bigger than you? Is there a cause in your life that's beyond you? A cause in your life that burdens you, that bothers you? Is there, is there some movement, is there some aim, is there some principle that you are so committed to that you are prepared to defend it at any cost? You're prepared to become an advocate of that cause at any cost. See, I could, I could not, on this side of purpose, I could not imagine living my life without a cause. I couldn't imagine having my day approach me and me approach my day without a cause worth living for because the very things I live for are the causes or the cause that motivate me. So my question to you is this, what do you live for? What do you get up every day for? What do you face the world for? What do you do in, in a day? What, what are you motivated by? What drives you? What, what are you living for? I think we can all agree by the end of this sermon that a life is poorly lived if there was never a cause that you had worth dying for. In fact, I'll say it like this. Perhaps living a life with nothing to die for would be worse than death itself. Is there a cause in this world that's beckoning you to stand up inside and commit to its mission? Is there an injustice in this world you feel must be met with an equality? Is there a need in the community right now that you feel must be met through the hands of civilian service? Is there a problem in your neighborhood, not mine, yours, that you feel must be solved with a solution that your family could possibly produce? Is there, is there a hurt in people that you see that you feel that can only be healed through the reach and the touch of your church? History itself is marked with countless people that stood for a cause, a cause they believed was worth dying for. Moreover, God's word is filled with individuals and people groups and characters who stood for a cause they believed was worth dying for. And it's in our Bible. It's in our Bible where we learn that Jesus stood for a cause. He stood for a cause, and that cause was to seek and to save, you know the scripture, that which was lost. That was the cause that Christ had. He came here the Bible says, to seek and to save that which was lost. And the one thing I love about the Son of God is he stood for that cause no matter what he faced. Somebody talked to me this morning. No, no, matter, no matter the unbelief of the Jews, no matter the inconsistencies of his disciples, no matter the ridicule and the mockery that he got from crowd after crowd, no matter the hate and the, and, the, and the rage that was fueled by the Pharisees, no matter the brutality of the cross and the beatings that he took at the hands of Roman soldiers, he had a cause worth standing for, a cause that Jesus believed was worth dying for. And then he died for that very cause. And then three days later, he stood again for that cause and he passed the baton to us, his church, that we may stand for him and stand for his cause. Somebody help me praise him if you know Jesus had a cause worth dying for. So I want you to remember this. When you stand for Jesus, you stand for everything he stood for. Y'all stay with me this morning. I promise you I'm going somewhere. When you stand for Jesus, you stand for his cause, you stand for everything he stood for. And God wants to know, will you take the stand? Can you make the stand? 
Let's talk about the stand together because the stand that one takes for Jesus forces a change in your personal position. It's impossible, ladies and gentlemen, to stand for something with Jesus while remaining relaxed from warfare. It's impossible to stand with Jesus while being relieved of all duties. It's impossible to stand with Jesus while being reclined in a place of luxury. Because when you stand for the cause of Christ, it forces you. It forces you to examine your commitment for what it really is. It forces you to come to the conclusion, I'm either all out, I'm almost, or I'm all in. It forces you to leave the land of easy, walk across the line in the sand, and dare to share in the glory of his cross and the glory of his crown. It forces you to abandon the fads and the trends that the crowd has and follow Christ with absolute surrender. It forces you to check the very words that come out of your mouth, knowing you are either full of calls or you are full of crap. This is where God separates sheep from goats, wheat from weeds, leaven from unleavened, believers from religious. The stand, ladies and gentlemen, is the tail of the tape. The stand is what separates men from boys, women from girls, conquerors from cowards, soldiers from sissies, winners from whiners, and shouters from doubters. Standing for the cause of Jesus is what separates the real from the fake, the disciples from actors. It separates the church and the world. Standing for Jesus is what proves you're the real deal. You're not make-believe. You're not fairy tale. You're not fluffing stuff. You're not putting on a show. You're not performing. Do I have anybody in the room that would say, I am the real deal. My commitment is for real. My praise is for real. When I love, I love for real. When I serve, I serve for real. When I do, I do for real. Do I have anybody in the room at 9 a.m. that can help me say, I stand and I stand for real. We must stand for his cause. Oh yes, we must stand for his cause because Jesus Christ and his stand, I'm proud to say, is a stand worth dying for. So let's take the stand with him. Let's stand for the world to know that Jesus is Lord and he is the only way to God. Let's stand for the cause of Christ so souls can be reached at whatever cost we must pay. Let's stand for broken people to find healing in his name. Let's stand for communities to see that church is alive, it's vibrant, and it's full of life. Not dead, not lifeless, not religious, not decaying. Let's stand for families to find peace, unity, and hope in the gospel and the promises of his word. Let's stand for hungry families to be fed and see that God God has hands that can reach their pantry, their fridge, and their table. Let's stand for the homeless to know somebody does see them. Somebody does acknowledge them. Somebody does care about them. Somebody does love them. Let's stand for little children to know how to go to heaven and know the God of the ages is real. God, I wish I had a witness at nine o'clock. Let's stand for students to find more in life than popularity, notoriety, and acceptance among their peers. Let's stand for husbands and wives to find and discover the marriage God intended them to have. Let's stand for people of every race, color, and ethnicity to serve the King of glory. Find purpose and plan for his life. Let's find Jesus and stand for his life, his resurrection, so people are drawn to the Father. Somebody better help me preach this morning. Let's stand for new grace so people can experience new life and Christ, do I have somebody willing to plant their feet and say, I'll stand for him. He's worth dying for. Bless his name this morning. Hallelujah. I say today's the day you stand up and take the stand. Somebody say, I'll make the stand. I'll make the stand. Because when you stand for Christ, I want to say this, it has an effect on this world. When you stand for the cause of Jesus, it has an effect on this world. See, God created the natural laws of this world to play a role in the existence and experience of our life. Therefore, God created a thing called cause and effect. 
Now, God didn't necessarily name it cause and effect. He allowed us as the human race to do that. However, God is the one that created the laws of cause and effect. Cause and effect is how things happen. I don't know why in the textbooks growing up in school, they couldn't just say it's how things happen. It's how stuff gets done, son. So I got on the internet and randomly populated some examples of what cause and effect are. And this is what Google gave me. When water is heated, the molecules move quickly, therefore the water boils. A tornado blew the roof off the house. And as a result, the family had to find another place to live. Cause and effect, because the alarm was not set, we were late to work. Somebody say amen right there. The moon has gravitational pull, consequently the oceans have tides. Since school was canceled, we went to the mall. John made a rude comment, so Tammy hit him. <laughs> the meal we ordered was cheaper than expected, so we ordered dessert. This is my favorite one. When Lenny taunted the tiger, it jumped the fence and killed him. <laughs> cause and effect. There's cause and effect. And likewise, when you stand for the cause you're convinced is worth dying for, guess what? There is an effect. And when Jesus stood for his cause, it seemingly, apparently, obviously had an effect. Now his cause is my cause. His cause is your cause. So when we stand for our cause, there is always an effect. So I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this. You have an effect. What you do has an effect. What you fail to do has an effect. Your cause has an effect. And I believe you will stand for a cause when you are convinced that it matters to the world. When you are of the persuasion, it matters if I do this, it matters if I don't do this. If I do this, the world will be different. If I don't do this, nothing can change the world. Nothing can change the world. If you do nothing, that nothing changes nothing. And I've always been fond of this one story in Acts chapter six and seven. I've always been fond of this one story about a man who was so convinced in his cause for Christ that he made the stand. Now, here's the context. The church is blowing up just like we saw Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. The church is exploding. So the apostles come together. They have to make some internal leadership decisions. And so they delegate and appoint and ordain seven men to servant leadership. You and I would refer to them in the church world as deacons. And so they appointed these men as servant leadership in the church to handle the growing needs of the ministry. And when they did this, the church grew even more. In fact, Acts 6 says that the word of God increased the more. And so all of this activity is happening in the early church. And then in Acts 6, 8, we find a man named Stephen. And among all the believers, we find something about Stephen because Stephen stood out. He stood out. Acts 6, 8 tells us this. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, here's something you need to know about standing out. When you stand out, it's going to get you some attention. Somebody say amen. Because hell's hitmen will notice you standing out for Christ. In fact, there were certain men of the Libertines synagogue. They were from the synagogue of the Church of the Libertines. And this was Cyrenians and Alexandrians and other people from Cilicia and Asia. And they began to have this debate with Stephen right there in front of God and everybody. And they began to dispute with him about the things he was preaching and the things they believed. And so they were, they were stirred up to so much anger that they began to stir up the Jews. And they began to stir people up and bring false accusation against Stephen saying, look, this message of Christ and the death the burial and resurrection of Jesus that you keep on preaching and proclaiming is contrary and it's blasphemy against the temple and the law of Moses. So they put him in front of the Sanhedrin council in order to accuse him, set up all these false accusations. He was put on trial and then they made a big mistake. They give this joker the floor. They put a mic in this guy's hand. In Acts 7-1, the high priest said, are these things so? And they handed the microphone to Stephen. And he 
said. And 52 verses, he goes all the way back to Abraham, reaches into the history of their forefathers and preaches about their rejection of the God of Israel, all the way to Jesus and the rejection of the Holy Ghost. He goes from standing out to standing up. He stands for a cause. And the Bible quickly tells us things escalate. They're boiling over with rage. They grab Stephen, they take him outside of the city and they stone him with rocks and the Bible teaches and tells us that he died standing up for the cause of Christ. We just got an example, ladies and gentlemen. We just got the proof of the very thing we've been preaching on now for three weeks. Stephen had a cause that he stood for and that cause got him killed. Now, I want to transition into the very lessons I think we must consider when standing for his cause because I believe you and I are here this morning because we feel a commitment. We feel a draw. We are persuaded and convinced that Christ is worth standing for, that the cause of Christ is is worth standing for, and that's where you and I have picked up the baton. And this story right here, when you read it for what it is, it moves me to take another look at myself and ask myself, what do I stand for? When you and I hear this, you have to ask yourself right now this morning, what do I stand for? Because this moves us to interrogate our interest, what inspires us. So in light of Stephen's cause, let's ask ourselves three questions. Number one, ask yourself this, is the cause I stand for serious? Is the cause I stand for serious? If for Jesus, it should be. If it's for Jesus, it should be serious. Which beckons the question, are we serious about Jesus? Are we serious about the cause that he stood for? Here's the deal. We want to sit out while other believers stand up. We want to take a bench and watch what happens on the field. There's something comfortable about the sidelines, but there's nothing serious about the sidelines. We want to sit while others stand. We want to sit for him, and then maybe we want to stand for ourselves or stand for something we think matters to us, something that matters to retirement or vacation or matters to more money or matters to more ease or more luxury or more self or more help. And we want to sit out on the things that Christ stood for, but we want other people and we want God to stand up for us when it comes to our own agenda. Somebody better talk to me. Should we not stand for a Christ that stood for us when we laid down in our sin? Should we not stand for a Christ that stood for us until it got him crucified? I say we get serious. No, no, seriously. I say we get serious and we stand for him and his cause. Are you serious? No, I'm serious. I'm serious about the question. Are you serious? No, really, are you serious? Because I can tell how serious you are about Jesus by how serious Satan is about you. Folks walking around holding the banner of Christ and church and Christianity talking about being serious, but Satan don't even know they exist. Demons bypass them. Devils overlook them. Darkness never bothers them. They do bad all by themselves. They've got their own function called dysfunction. They don't bring anything to the table. They are not an asset. They're a liability to the kingdom. They don't know anything about commitment. All they know about is comfort. All they know about is convenience. All they know about his complacency and Satan never bothers them at all. I can tell you how serious you are about God by how serious hell is about you. In fact, if you want to see how serious you actually are, look at how serious the enemy is about you because what stands against you is a clue of how serious you are about what you actually stand for. So my question is this, how can we as the church, the body of Christ, believers born again, saved and sanctified of his spirit. How can we sit for something that Satan stands against? If hell is serious about it, why are we serious about it? Hell is convinced. Demons are convinced. Satan himself, he has all power in this world, not all power in this universe, and he is convinced this matters, but we're not serious. 
Is the thing you're standing for serious? Because Stephen was serious. Stephen was so serious, he took the stand and he didn't back down. You know what kind of mentality we've got to program our mind with? No more games. No more games. If this is serious, and it is, I'm serious. This is heaven and hell for people. This is life and death for people. This is peace and fear for people. This is freedom and bondage for people. This is light and darkness for people. This matters to people. This is serious. Where has the urgency went in the church of the living God? Where is our, where is our priority? Where, what matters to us? What's important to you? Is what's important to the devil important to you? We, we always talk about what's important to Christ. What about what's important to the devil? Because there are family members that you have that he wants to see them burn. There are friends you have he wants to see them burn. There are co-workers that you and I have that he wants to see them burn. You and I have got to get the mentality, this is serious, I'm getting serious. I remember when I first got serious. I was in high school, I had just come to know Christ, and I was trying to figure out how serious I wanted to be. And I remember when I would come in to the, to the parking lot in my 1963 Chevy pickup truck, I, I used to come in with my music blaring and I had a parking spot right up at the very front. I knew a ton of people, they knew me. I was one of them guys, I'd take like three or four laps just so I could see everybody, everybody could see me. And then I'd finally park. And I remember when I got saved, I was like, I'm gonna take my Bible to school. I'm gonna take my Bible to school and I'd have it sitting on the seat. And as I would pull into the parking lot, you know, you know how it is, man. You, you, know, you stop and talk to people and they come up. And, and, and I, don't, I don't want anybody to think I'm a fanatic over this church thing, this God thing. I mean, I, I'm not ashamed to say that I go to church. I'm not even ashamed to use broad, vague terminology like I'm a Christian because let's face it, everybody's a Christian, right? So I'm not really worried about that. But that whole, a Bible in your truck, that's a little serious, you know? And so I'm pulling in and I remember as guys would come up or fellows from the baseball team would come up, I would take my Bible and I would hide it under my seat. I remember every time I did that, the Holy Spirit would say, what? What are you ashamed of? What are you afraid of? Why would you hide that? I stood up for you, you can't stand up for me. Why are you hiding that? Why are you hiding that? And I remember one, one Sunday I left church and God was just all over me. And I was like, I'm going to make sure I don't hide my Bible this week. I'm gonna keep it on my seat. And I pulled in the parking lot and I saw those guys and those girls standing out there and Holy Spirit's like, they don't know me, you know me. Why don't you show them you know me? Show up, turn that music up. You used to come in here blasting Trick Daddy and Raheem and Master P and Jay-Z and Garth Brooks and Conway Twitty and the BGs and all that two live crew. Why don't, you, why don't you go ahead and take that godly music that honors me, that glorifies me, crank it up. Yeah, they're gonna look at you. Yeah, they're gonna stare at you. They'll probably talk about you. They'll probably laugh at you. But the reality is you know something they don't know that they desperately need to know. You know someone they need to know. Why don't you get serious? And I remember taking that old Southern gospel ain't nothing like the stuff we sing here. I took that barbershop quartet and Jesus loving stuff. I cranked it up as loud as it could go. My subwoofer was thumping and bumping. I'm talking you ain't cool until you've had Christianity at 150 decibels bouncing in the parking lot barking tires on the speed bump and all of a sudden I took my Bible and I put it up on the dash and started patting it. I was driving by real. I still had the real I had the cool slaps going on but I had my Bible up on the dashboard. I was initiating myself. I was making myself stand up for something that I thought was worth dying for. And I began to initiate myself into a realm of what I thought was serious. It wasn't long after I was literally having conversations with those people in the parking lot, asking if they would come to church with me, even to the point where I was asking some of them if they knew for sure they were going to heaven when they died. And some of those people I actually had the privilege of leading to Christ personally. It is serious, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, somebody help me praise him if you know it's serious. It's the cause you stand for serious because if it's for Jesus, it should be. Is the cause I stand for safe? Is it safe? Because if it's for Jesus, it won't be. It won't be. Can I say something to y'all? Safety is not guaranteed in the will of God. 
Safety has never been guaranteed in the will of God. In fact, suffering is guaranteed in the will of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul told Timothy this, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Let me say this quickly. There's a difference between suffering and suffering for him. Now, I think the people in this room, myself included, are very well acquainted with suffering. Many of us have suffered traumatic incidents, tragic accidents, things that were testing our faith, things that tested our patience, things that we worried ourselves sick over, seasons of depression and bouts with spiritual oppression. I think many of us in this room have suffered. There is a difference. I want you to stay with me. I'm about to help you with something. There is a difference in suffering and suffering for him. As American Christians, we don't know anything about suffering for him. We don't. We know something about suffering. I think the human race does, but not many of us know what it means about suffering for him. Safe? Are you kidding me? Safety? You will find safety in the center of the will of God. It's not scriptural. It's not biblical. That's not accurate. You're falsifying a claim. Don't you dare tell someone from the Bible that safety is in the middle of God's will. Don't you tell Joseph that the will of God is safe, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, ends up in prison, has to go through trial after trial. Don't you tell Joshua that the will of God is safe. You want Canaan land? Okay, get your sword out, buddy, and your shield. Fight for it. Your life's on the line. Don't tell King David that there's safety in the will of God. You've got to kill a lion. You've got to kill a bear. You've got to drop a giant like a bad habit. And you're going to spend the rest of your life fighting to keep the very thing God gave you. Don't tell them that safety is in the will of God. Nehemiah, let's get this building project underway. Let's build this wall. Let's erect the very walls of Jerusalem all over again for the kingdom's sake. Don't you tell him the will of God is safe, a a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. Don't tell the prophet Daniel that there's safety in the will of God. There's no safety in a den of lions. Don't tell the apostle Paul that the will of God is, don't do that. Don't tell him that the will of God is safe. He was shipwrecked. He was snapped bit. He was stoned on several occasions, beaten with rods thrice, he says, cast out of cities, stomped on, beaten, ridiculed, had to be let down out of a window in a basket. Don't tell them the will of God is safe. Don't tell John the Revelator, who wrote the book of Revelation, that the will of God was safe. You know what? They didn't want to crucify him upside down like they did the apostle Peter. No, they took his body, they dipped it in hot boiling oil, and then they exiled him to the island of Patmos where he received a revelation from God. Don't you dare bring up the word safe when you talk about the will of God. Because when you stand for the cause of Christ, it's probably not gonna be safe. Don't tell those people in Hebrews 11 that we call the hall of faith. Don't tell the last part of the chapter that the will of God is safe. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Listen to this, others were tortured. You ever been tortured for this cause? not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had a trial of cruel mockings. You ever been put up on a panel in front of people and then begin to mock you, make fun of you? I'm not, I'm not talking about rolling their eyes while you bless your bologna sandwich. I'm talking about a literal judicial system that puts you up on trial and asks you probing questions about your faith and your commitment to Jesus. Scourgings, you ever had anybody take a cat of nine tails, a flagrum? Nine leather straps, glass, bone, and metal in each one of the straps and lay you open with 39 lashes because you said you believe in Jesus. Bonds and imprisonment. You ever been locked up for coming to church here? Stoned, buried waist deep with your hands tied by your side so you're covered from here down, here up is exposed, a bed sheet is laid over you, tied around your shoulders and people take rocks big enough to put damage to your body until you finally die of excruciating pain. Sawn asunder, they cut people in half for what we're doing right now. They burn our children. They burn our homes. Tempted, you've been thrown in a room and all kind of ungodly, immoral temptations laid in front of you to see if you'll deny Jesus and accept one of those temptations. Sleep with her, we'll let you out of here. Sleep with him, we'll let you out of here. We're gonna stand here and watch. Safe? 
slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. I'll be homeless for the cause of Christ because I'm convinced this stand is worth dying for. Don't you dare tell the 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians who were decapitated, beheaded on the coast of Libya in 2015 that there's safety in the center of the will of God. Erwin McManus said, said this in his book, The Barbarian Way. We created a religion using the name of Jesus Christ and convinced ourselves that God's optimal desire for our lives was to insulate us in a spiritual bubble where we risk nothing, sacrifice nothing, lose nothing, worry about nothing. Yet Jesus' death wasn't to free us from dying, but to free us from the fear of death. Jesus came to liberate us so we could die up front and then live. Jesus wants to take us to places where only dead men and dead women can go. So let me ask you a question. Is, is perfect protection from all suffering really God's job? Is it re- and I know we mean well sometimes when we say, hey, God protected you in this, God protected me in this. Hey, hey, God's got a plan for you. He kept this from happening. So is that to say the other guy that got killed on the other end of 85, God didn't have a plan for him? God didn't love him? We've gotta pick, got pick our truth here. What does God just insulate everybody from everything? I'm not saying he doesn't, I'm not saying he can't, but you better be real careful what kind of words you attribute to the character of God that may not actually be scriptural words. Because if God's job is to protect Christians from suffering, is he doing his job? Is God really supposed to shield us and guard us in some kind of bubble insulated from the suffering of this world? Really? No, here's the truth. We are soft. We are spoiled. We want safe. We, we associate the dangers of Christianity with financial struggles. We associate the dangers of Christianity with defaming posts about us online. We, we associate the dangers of Christianity with not being able to afford what we want or having turbulence in our relationships or marriage, or, or having engine problems in our vehicles. The devil's at it again. We, we, we associate the dangers and the suffering of Christianity with stresses about making big decisions. Do I wanna make 65,000 and have the weekends off, or do I wanna make 80,000 and work overtime on Saturday? We're soft, we're spoiled. We associate the pressures and the dangers of Christianity with having to deal with evil people at work who don't treat the office like it's Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. We don't know a thing about suffering for him. We don't. We don't. And my question is this to you, ladies and gentlemen, could you stand for the cause of Jesus without the insulation of America's freedom? Or do you require the barriers of God's special bubble to be committed to this cause on your terms? Do you have any idea how dangerous it is to put a tank, fill it up with water, people gather around it in some kind of public or even private setting in a basement in certain parts of the Middle East and baptize a man or a woman and as, a, as publicly identifying that they're now a Christian and we do it like it's a pool party. You lose your life in other parts of the world for what we do, whether or not we feel like it. What if the tides, think, think with me now, what if the tides of religious, free, religious freedom turned in America? What if we had to arm ourselves, protect ourselves? Yes, we have campus safety, and they have a protocol, a policy, and an agenda when they're on this property to protect what God has given us. And we are armed and dangerous. And I say that proudly. I don't say that sheepishly. I'm not that kind of guy who sticks his head in the sand and says, God's got us in the bubble. There is no bubble. There's no bubble in the Middle East. There's no bubble in Israel. There's no bubble in America. There's no bubble in Georgia. And there ain't one in Banks Crossing. I need a witness. It's not safe. It's not safe. What if the tides turned? What if the whole political shift happened in such a way where corruption ran right over and all of a sudden it came to where this looked like it did over there? What would you do, man? What would you do, young lady? What would you do if this looked like that? Could you stand for this cause if that actually happened? 
I doubt you could if the rain's enough to keep you away on a Sunday. I doubt you could. I doubt you'd ever hack it. I doubt you'd make it because it's not safe. It's not safe. And, and in addition, by the way, to this coming threat, and this is coming, this coming threat, whether it happens before we leave here or after we leave here, we have to also deal with the invisible forces of satanic oppression that get in your head, that come against your family. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It ain't safe. That's why it's called spiritual warfare. So if you stand for the cause of Christ, know this before we go any further in this journey. It's not safe. So if you want safe, stay home. If you want safe, sit on the sidelines where it ain't serious. Is the cause you stand for significant? If for Jesus, it will be. I said, if for Jesus, it will be. Because when Stephen stood for the cause of Christ, he became the first martyr of the church. And we learned that the word martyr in the Greek is the same word we use as witness, which means it testified, it told a story, it preached a message. When he stood for Christ, it was significant because it made a mark. Suffering is what leads to significance. Everybody wants to be significant, but nobody wants to suffer. And it's the very suffering. Listen to me, it's the things that you and I have been through that make us significant. The suffering that you and I have endured in this world, whether it be emotional, mental, physical, whether it be financial, whether it be spiritual, whatever suffering, listen to me, whatever suffering you and I have made it through, that pain was not in vain because suffering leaves scars, but scars tell a story, a story of significance. A scar speaks. A scar says, this happened to me. It's no longer bleeding. It no longer hurts. It used to bleed. It used to hurt. But over time, with God, it's healed. And now I can talk about it. Now I can reference it. Now I can speak of it. Now it can speak of it. Now it has significance. And when you take a stand, it makes a mark. It's significant because it makes a mark. Did you know Acts 7, 58? Look at this. Look at this right here. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. They dragged Stephen out. They stoned him with rocks. He dies. Look at this. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Oh, some of y'all have been reading your Bible this year. They laid, their, they, said, look, they were so religious and so ritualistic, they said, we cannot wear these holy garments while we do this heinous act. And they took their clothes and laid them at a young man's feet who was checking off what they were doing a zealous Jew of the Pharisees who was keeping his clipboard and making his notes and recording everything that happened, they laid those clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, who two chapters later got converted, saved on the road to Damascus. God dropped the S and put a P in there and we changed his name from Saul to Paul. He wrote 13 books in your New Testament. He had over 50 missionary journeys outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the greatest preacher and teacher of the scripture that this world has ever known. Could it be that Paul never forgot what he saw as Saul? Could it be that the stoning of Stephen, the witness of Stephen was so significant that it made a forever mark in the mind of young Saul so that when he was Paul, he never could get the imagery of Stephen out of his mind and he preached with fire in one eye and a tear in the other because he was forever impressioned by the mark of Stephen's significance. Could it be you're making more of a mark than you think you are when you stand for him? Could it be you're making a mark and don't even know it? You think they're not getting it. They don't hear you. They don't see you. They don't care. They're not interested. They're never going to come here. They're never going to trust him. They're never going to change. They're never going to get it. Your daddy's always going to be that way. Those people at work, them guys, let's face it, you've heard the jokes they tell, it's never gonna change. 
You know that lady that gives you a hard time. You know what I'm talking about. You're gonna call her name. I'm not gonna do it because I don't know it. But if I did, you'd say, yep, that's her. Bless God, that's her. I'm praying for her all the time. Praying for God to kill her. Well, I don't care. Listen to me. Listen to me. You're making more of a mark than you realize. Significance when you stand leaves an impression on somebody. In fact, Stephen wasn't even around to see what resulted in the stand he took. Maybe some, of the, maybe some of the marks you're making on people will happen after you're gone. Maybe the biggest impression you make that lasts will happen after you're out of the way. He had this stand and it was significant. And let me tell you why it was significant. I'll close with this. Look at chapter seven, verse 54. He's taking this stand for the cause of Christ. He's serious. It's not safe. But watch how significant this is, y'all. Watch this. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. <laughs> As he's standing for Christ. <laughs> It's okay if y'all want to get Pentecostal with me. He's standing for Christ. I've been to some Baptist places where it got upside down too. That's all right. I don't care, I don't care what you call it. Let's just have a little church right here. He's standing for Christ. And as he's in the middle of dying, he looks up and sees Jesus standing for him. <laughs> Could it be Stephen was taking a stand because Jesus was willing to die for him. And the Bible always references Christ as seated at the right hand of God. You will never find another instance this side of Revelation where you find him standing. Could it be Stephen was standing for Jesus because Jesus died for him and now we have Jesus standing for Stephen because Stephen died for him. You know what I love about the significance of this? That Stephen was not standing alone. Although other disciples may have ran away and other apostles may have ran away and other believers may have shied away, I wanna tell you when he made that stand that nay, he was not standing by himself because on the other side of heaven, the Son of God got to his feet. Jesus said, I'm not gonna take this sitting down. And he stood up for Stephen because Stephen stood up for him. Do I have anybody in this room that believes Jesus? He's worth standing for. And when I stand, I will never have to stand alone. Somebody help me give him praise on Sunday at 9 a.m. if you know he's worth standing for. You will not stand ashamed, you will not stand afraid, and you will not stand alone. As the team comes to help me close, I wanna ask you a question. Will you join Stephen and take the stand? It should be very serious. It will not be safe. But when you do, whether you're 18 or 88, it's very significant. It makes a mark in ways you may not ever realize. And if you think, well, it ain't making a mark anybody in this world. It just doesn't matter. Just look up and remind yourself that when I stand for him, Jesus stands for me. So what does that look like? What does that look like? Like, like that's great. That's good. That's good. Hey, that's some good old church material, right? But what do you do with that? Like what, how do I do that? I believe that your heart is ready. I believe your mind is prepped. I believe your spirit's willing. I believe deep down inside of you, you desire to take this kind of stand. How? 
Here's what you can do. Listen, here's what you do this week. Here's what you do starting the day. At work, at school, at home, in your personal walk throughout the rest of your life. Stand with Jesus. Just stand with Jesus. Just stand with Jesus. What do you mean? What do you mean, Pastor Dave? Well, when it comes to knowing where to stand on something, stand where Jesus stood on it. When it comes to who, who, what, how do I treat the people around me and, 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 and how, how do I have effect on the people around me? Stand for the people Jesus stood for. Yes. When, it, when it comes to figuring out what's worth standing for, stand for whatever Jesus stood for. Yeah. Did Jesus stand for the homeless? Then stand for that. Yeah. Did Jesus stand for the hungry? Stand for that. Did Jesus stand for a biblical marriage? Then stand for that. Did Jesus stand for truth? Stand for that. Did Jesus stand for peace? Stand for that. Did he stand for freedom from addiction? Then stand for it. Did he stand for the covenant of transparency in marriage? Then stand for that. Did he stand for the next generation? Then stand for that. Did he stand for the mission of his church for people to experience new life in Christ? Then stand for that. Stand for the people he stood for. When it comes down to an issue and you're like, I don't even, hey, hey, what do you think of it? Stand where Jesus stood on it. When it comes down to, I don't know what to do with my life. Well, what did Jesus do with his? He had a cause worth dying for. You should be serious. Disclosure, it won't be safe. But I promise you this, if you stand Christ, so committed you believe it's worth dying for, it'll be the most significant thing you ever did with your life on this planet.